Let's pray together. Oh, God, Jesus has led us all the way to here. We need Him to lead us all the way to there. Oh, Lord, if there's someone here today who has yet to choose Jesus to be His leader, to be her Savior, please let this moment in Holy Scripture call for that decision. Lead us all the way as we wait upon you now in His name. Amen. Because this is a university campus, science and mathematics are often front and center, and rightfully so. And so this morning I want to share with you a formula. You may never have grappled with this formula before, but I hope you will integrate it into your very soul for the rest of your journey. I need you to write the formula down, and so would you take out, please, the, uh, the uh, study guide, the new study guide that is in your worship bulletin. You know the drill. Just take that study guide out. In fact, ushers, thank you for standing right now. If several of you came in with one worship bulletin, you need to get today's study guide. There is material to brood over, to wrestle over. Uh, uh, one of you came up to me last week and handed me an envelope talking about this drill, you handed me an envelope and I opened the envelope up and I found a drill bit in it. You know, a drill bit. And on the bit were, uh, was attached these words, Dwight, we know the drill. Now here's the bit. This is not about those kinds of drills. This is, as you know, working through the uh, procedure. And So if you will hold your hand up, we'll get uh, one of those study guides to you right now. Everybody knows the explosive formula of Albert Einstein, E equals MC squared. This formula, I believe, can be as significantly personally explosive to us if we will, if we will internalize and transfer it to our personal lives. And so I wish you would take that study guide and fill it in now. The first line, the formula, J times G. J times G, and when, when it's between parentheses, isn't that right? It stays as a unit. J times G plus J times F equals capital S. Can this formula be proven? Yes, it can. We will set out now to prove it with three categorical statements. Write them down, please. Categorical statement number one, all are lost. Write it in. All are lost. Open your Bible once again to the book of Romans. That's our theme book for this journey this year, wrote the, the book of Romans, the epistle to the church in Rome. You remember that last Sabbath, Paul spent the entire chapter 2 proving to us that even if we are very moral men, if, even if we are very upstanding women, we are still lost. You and I are still lost. Just as lost as Martha Stewart, God bless her incarcerated soul, the queen of decor and decorum who got caught cheating on the stock exchange. The whole world, of course, knows that uh, sorry chapter in her life. She's incarcerated now for five months in a federal detention center. The press is dubbed Camp Cupcake, which means it's hardly an Alcatraz or a Sing Sing. And she doesn't deserve a Sing Sing. But Paul's point, almost a sing-song point that he makes here is, you and I just the same deserve to have the entire book thrown at us. We are just as lost as she he needs, to, he needs to make sure, and so he spent all last Sabbath on that, but he needs to make sure as we get into Romans chapter 3, find Romans 3. And so he's going to keep, like, like a dentist with that drill bit, just going deeper and deeper. Paul has to keep going until he hits nerve. 
If he doesn't hit nerve, we will not embrace and integrate that formula for ourselves. So, he keeps going. You made your point in chapter 2. I know. I'm going to continue my point in chapter 3. So, Romans chapter 3. I'm finding it while I'm talking here. Okay, Romans chapter 3. I'm in the New International Version. Drop down to verse 9. Okay, here comes Paul. Now, what shall we conclude? Are we any better than Martha Stewart? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, that would be the whole human race, alike are all under sin. I.e., categorical statement number one, all are lost. And now he starts drilling into the nerve of our own personal respectability. And in case we miss it, he starts chewing through Old Testament passages we would just as soon leave behind. No, 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 no. Paul says, I want you to read this. Read this, read this. So that would be verse 10. As it is written, the Old Testament, five times now, the the, the Greek uh, couplet, he's going to make the point five times, uh, verse 10, quoting the Old Testament, there is no one, there is none. That's his point. There is no one righteous, not even one. Here comes number two. There is no one who understands There is, in the Greek, it it repeats itself, there is no one who seeks God. Verse 12, all have turned away, they they have together become worthless. Here comes number four, there is no one who does good. There is no one, not even one. And just in case we might have missed his, his thundering conclusion, drop down to verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Category, categorical statement number one, all are lost. Categorical statement number two. Here we go. Now we come to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Speaking of verse... 21 through verse 26, the great Australian scholar, Leon Morris. Notice how he describes this, this summation paragraph. He calls it possibly the most important single paragraph ever written, period, in, in, in human literature. Martin Luther comes along. What, is, what does Martin Luther say? The chief point in this paragraph, in the very central place of the epistle, indeed, the central place of the entire scriptures of the whole Bible. Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now. Hit your pause button again. Write that in, please. But now. See what's happening here. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the the, uh, physician who later became a mighty English preacher. These are Jones' words. I think you have them in the study guide. There are no more powerful words in the whole of Scripture than just these two words, but now. Why? Because he's just consigned all of us to hell. All are lost. But now. I want to tell you something. But now. Alistair McGrath. Another Englishman, in his, in his stirring book, Justification by Faith, tells how, as a young man, he spent two years doing uh, theological research at Cambridge University. He was working at the St. John's College there. And he used to love to visit the chapel of the nearby King's College. And Karen and I have been to that. It is a magnificent chapel building. And King's College, you know, that chapel is famous for its choral tradition. Great music comes out of it. Anyway, he would go over and he would often gaze upon... He called this a beautiful old master, a painting at the very end of one of of that uh, structure. One day, a protester attempting to make some sort of political point steps up to that masterpiece, yanks out a knife and in front of the the horrid onlookers, slashes the canvas. A few days later, Alistair McGrath returned to that painting and somebody had posted a notice beside the ruined painting these words it is believed that this masterpiece 
can be restored. Once upon a long ago time, the whole human race lost. Crazed, demented, fallen rebel angel just slashed the human race. But then there appears beside the barred and shuttered gates of Eden. Those words, surely they appeared. It is believed that this masterpiece can be restored. Some of you feeling like your life is absolutely hopeless spiritually. Nope. This masterpiece, this masterpiece can be restored. All right, let's read it. 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. Verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Period. Categorical statement number one. All have sinned. All are lost. Not all are prostitutes, not all are addicted, not all are thieves. But Paul's compelling point is all of us are drawn into that web. We have fallen terribly short of the glory for which God created us. And that's why these words, hang on to this line, will you? Bishop Hanley Moore, you have it in your study guide. In fact, you need to fill it out to make it complete. He's writing now, the harlot, the liar. The murderer are short of it. In other words, they fall short of God's glory, but so are you. So am I. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of an alp, but you are little able, write it in, you are little able to touch the stars as they. All have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And now we're ready for Paul's stunning categorical statement number two. By the way, all have sinned. You remember from... Uh, from uh, English class where you had to do... Di- Remember we had the diagram sentences? All have sinned. All. It w- would all be the subject of that uh, sentence? All have sinned? All would be the subject. In fact, let's put it up on the, uh, the screen here. You remember how we used to draw those lines and then behind the straight line you'd put the predicate or the verb. All is the subject. Have sinned would be the predicate. And you say, Dwight, what's the big deal about all have sinned? Well, I'll tell you what's the big deal. Because verse 24 that immediately follows verse 23 is missing the subject. So we have to take the subject in verse 23 in order to understand what verse 24 is actually saying. So let's read it and we'll insert the all. And in fact, I think you fill this in in your study guide somewhere. You will insert the all there. Okay, so let's read uh, verse 23 here and we'll read right into verse 24. For all have sinned, here's verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all. Okay, there's that understood. That's the subject. And all, all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All of sin, categorical statement number one, write it in, and all are justified. Categorical statement number two, all are justified. And in fact, you remember, in the study guide, you had to skip over that, that first box where it says categorical statement number two. So write justified a little further on in the study guide, and then go back up and make sure you have categorical statement number two, the heading, all are justified. What in the world does this word justified mean? It's straight out of the, it's straight out of the, uh, the court system that Paul and the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews were familiar with. To be justified, straight out of the uh, legal, uh, legal terminology, to be justified, describe that moment when the judge, because the judge they didn't have juries, the judges made the decisions. After hearing all the evidence and the charges, 
to be justified is that moment when the judge picks up that huge old gavel as we have it now and he, he slams that gavel down and he cries out, all charges thrown out, you are acquitted of the accusation. That word justified is when the judge's gavel comes down and it says, not guilty as charged, you are innocent. You're acquitted, you can go. Uh, Douglas Moo uh, has a definition, and I, I wanted you to have it in your study guide. Let me just read the sentence, and you have to fill it in to uh, fill it out. No legal fiction, no legal fiction, this idea of being justified, but a legal reality of the utmost significance. To be justified means, write it in, means to be acquitted, to be acquitted by God from all charges that could be brought against a person because of his sins. You are set free. No charges. I've heard the accuser. Charges dropped. Defendant, not guilty as charged. Not guilty. That's what it means to be justified. It's kind of a wow word once you grasp it. Not guilty as charged. I've heard the accuser. Not guilty. She's not guilty. So now let's read. Let's just read that definition. Let's see if it works. We'll read it into verse 23 and 24 again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are now acquitted and declared not guilty. Declared righteous, in fact. We'll treat you as innocent. You are righteous. All are declared not guilty. Freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, categorical statement number one, all are lost. Categorical statement number two, in case you missed it, all, all, the entire human race, all are justified. You say, oh, come on, Dwight, come on, hold it. Time out, time out. Something is wrong here. Are you, are you meaning to say the entire wicked human race is declared not guilty? Yep. Romans chapter 4, verse 5, write it in your study guide. At the tail end of Romans chapter 4, verse 5, it will read, God justifies the wicked. It might say ungodly in yours. God declares not guilty the entire human race. Romans 4, verse 5. Didn't make it up. This is not legal fiction. It is true. All are justified. How many of the ungodly? All of them. All of them. All of them. All of sin. All are declared not guilty as charged freely by his grace. Ah, come on, Dwight. That's impossible. Pastor, please. I mean, didn't God say in the Old Testament, you are not supposed to justify the wicked? Yes, he did. Take a look at these. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 1. If there is a dispute, God giving a little counsel to judges in the community of faith. If there is a dispute between men and women and they come to court, the judges may judge them and they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. You never do it the other way around. Case in point, take a look at this. Proverbs chapter 17. Let's put uh, Proverbs 17 up. That would be verse 15. He who justifies the wicked. Whoa. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just. Both of them alike are an abomination to God. You can't, you cannot justify the wicked is God's point. And in fact, God goes on first person record. Exodus chapter, what is this? 20, 20, 23 verse 7. God says, I will not. I will not justify the wicked. And yet we just read it, ladies and gentlemen, a moment ago that God has freely justified all the wicked. How can God be doing what he has told us we are never supposed to do ourselves? How do you do this? You can't do it. It's wrong. Ah, Paul tells us how. Take a look at this. Pick it up in verse 23 again. Verse 23, Romans 3. For all have sinned 
and falls short of the glory of God and all are acquitted and declared not guilty, done so freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, verse 25, God presented Him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Calvary. That's what makes the difference. John R.W. Stott is absolutely right. Do you have this in your study guide? I think you do. Without the cross, the justification of the unjust would be unjustified. I like that. Without Calvary, the justification of the unjust would be unjustified. It would be immoral and therefore impossible. You could not do that without Calvary. What's going on here? Oh, something big, something big is going on. Write them down, please. Paul gives us two Calvary words that focus our hearts like a laser on the point he's making. Two Calvary words. These are two words of the cross. Word number one. Write it in, please. Redemption. Write in the word redemption. That's, that's in verse 24. That word straight out of the Old Testament. That's what you did when a slave was being auctioned off at a slave block. When you walk up to a slave block and the slave master is saying, who give me 20, who give me 40, who give me 100? If you would walk up and you would say, 100, 150, outbidding everyone. If you would purchase the slave in order to let him go free. That's the word. To redeem. To redeem. To let go. To purchase and then let go. You say, oh, come on, Dwight. We haven't been purchased. Come again. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, what does it say? You have been bought with a price. What was the currency that purchased us? Acts chapter 20, take a look at this, verse 28. God purchased us with His own blood. You and I are blood-bought. Every musician on this platform, bought by the blood of God Himself. So, you got that word, can't, can't ignore it, the word redemption. Okay, one more. And, oh, you have to look how to spell this, so look very carefully at the screen. Propitiation. Propitiation. Now, come on, keep the, we'll keep it up for you a while, because it'll take you a while to spell that. What does propitiation mean? Well, in NIV, it's called sacrifice of atonement, but really, we ought not to be afraid of using the actual word, because this is the actual word. It's propitiation. It's straight out of the temple services. It describes that moment when the priest sprinkles blood on that golden slab, solid gold, that golden slab atop the ark of God. Do you remember what the slab was called? It was called the mercy seat. When the priest sprinkled blood upon the mercy seat, propitiation is a symbol of the atonement that's being affected between God and man by the blood. Atonement achieved through the shedding of blood. Now, I know, maybe even on this campus, there are some people who say, hey, 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 time out again, please. That is such a barbaric notion. I mean, to appease an angry God. Why, you can't, we need to expunge Christianity of such infantile thinking. No more, no more, they say. You know what? They are dead wrong. You see, what they don't understand is there's a difference between pagan propitiation and God's propitiation. Here's how the pagan propitiation works. All right, I got an angry God. What can I, what, what, what can I come up with that will satisfy Him? And they would eventually, so desperate, would burn their own children to death, didn't they? To get the attention and the acceptance of this God. Christian, Christianity comes along and says, no, you got the appeasement wrong. It's the other way around. God looks around His kingdom and says, what can I give to win them back? And He gives Himself. That's the difference. Don't you let anybody talk you out of propitiation. It belongs smack dab in the everlasting gospel. And that's Paul's point. Propitiation 
Is it in the Bible? Yep, it is. Look, listen to P.T. Forsyth put his words on the screen here. The prime doer in Christ's cross, I love this, was God. God's the one doing it. Christ was God. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ. Christ was God. Reconciling. He was God doing the very best for man and not man doing his very best for God. Isn't that great? I read a piece by Ivan Blazin in Spectrum the other day. Just, just the, one of the recent Spectrums. And I think Ivan, who used to be a professor here, is making a, a, a significant point. I believe he's right. In, in fact, would you fill this in, please, in your uh, study guide? At the cross, God presents the sacrifice rather than receives it. Do you understand the difference? He gives it. He's not saying, oh, come on, bring me something. Bring me. I'm mad. I'm mad. Bring it to me. No. He said, I'm giving it. I'm giving it. I'm giving it. The cross, the cross, the cross, the cross, the cross. Wow. That's what 1 John 2, 2 is, is, is all about, by the way. 1 John 2, 2. Speaking of Jesus, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only, by the way, for Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church and the Voice of Prophecy. Not only for all their sins. He's the atoning sacrifice for the entire human race. Propitiation. That's what He is. God made the infinite sacrifice. And now it makes sense. Verse 25. Look at this. Coming to an end of this, of this teaching. Verse 25. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance, that would be tolerance or patience, in His patience, He left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Acts 17 says God winked. He kind of winked. He said, okay, come on, let Him go. Let Him go. One day I'm going to deal with this. Let Him go now. Otherwise, He could have insisted the execution of everybody who sins. He winked at it. He said, I'll let it go. But what is this now? Verse uh, 26. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time. But now, so as to be just and the one who justifies, the one who acquits those who have faith in Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, please get this clear before you leave this building. God is the one who made the infinite sacrifice. He presented it to Himself. He gave it to lost humanity Thus, he could remain true to his own holy righteousness. You're not going to take a brick out of that foundation of my government. You take a brick out and my government is over. It has to stay. He was faithful to his own holy righteousness, but he could still love the rebel back to him because I paid the price myself. I paid it. Propitiation. Redemption. Categorical statement number one, all are lost. Categorical statement number two, all are justified. And finally, categorical statement number three, write it in. Some are saved. Some are saved. Something's going on here. You see, we've, actually what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, two different justifications. Let's put it on the screen and you have to fill it out. Paul's talking about two different justifications. Watch this. Uh, Romans chapter 3, 24, all are justified by grace. Write that down. All are justified by grace. But in Romans 3.26, some are justified by faith. Write in the word faith. Two different justifications. You say, do I come on? What's the difference? Ah, here's the difference. January 1, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation declaring free all slaves residing in territory in rebellion against the federal government. All right? All slaves declared free. And by the way, by that proclamation, he intentionally shifted the paradigm and the Civil War was not, no longer only about the union of these United States. It is now about freeing everyone held in bondage. He shifted it. Eight months after the war ended, December 
1865, the Congress voted the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, assuring the end of slavery forever and ever. But the president who signed the Emancipation Proclamation is dead, gunned down by a crazed political fanatic and foe. Now, ladies and gentlemen, please think now. This is, this is where it all comes together, I pray. The moment President Lincoln signed the document and it was enacted, every slave was set free legally. Does that make sense? Just with a stroke of a pen, all set free. But, and I wish you'd write this down, while every slave was set free legally, every slave was not set free experientially. You have to write that long word in, experientially. Oh, yeah, legally, 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 but not experientially. You say, well, well, what has to happen in order for the slave to experience freedom? Uh, watch what has to happen. Let's put it on the screen, please. Number one, you have to hear the good news. You've got to hear it first. Number two, you have to believe it. Once you hear it, you have to believe it. Number three, you have to reckon that the good news is really true. Number four, you have to refuse. I no longer will remain in subjection as a slave. Number five, you must assert your freedom from your former taskmaster. I'm not serving you anymore. I have been set free. I got the document to prove it. All right. What number was that? Okay, uh, number five. Okay, and then now number six. You must count on the authority and power of the government, government that declared you free to now help you remain free. Guess what? Slaves had to be free twice. Twice freed. Title of our teaching today, Twice Freed. You could, it's not enough to be freed once. You have to be freed twice. And that is the truth about Calvary and you and me. Did you see that little uh, line from Ministry of Healing, page 90? Oh, I love this. Talking about the Abraham Lincoln metaphor. Here it is. With his own blood, Jesus has signed the emancipation papers of the entire human race. The whole race has been declared acquitted. You're free. You are free. You are no longer a slave. Wow. The whole human race. Yep, the whole human race. But it's not enough for a slave to be legally free. You know that. We must be experientially free as well. And that's why there comes a moment when every man, woman, and child has to make a choice. Will the emancipator be my liberator too? You have to choose it. Because look, there were slaves in the South. There were some slaves in the South who never went free. Do you know why they never went free? Number one, they never heard. Nobody told them the good news that you're free. They never heard it. Number two, they didn't believe it. I'm not going free. I can't, the news cannot be that good. No, no, no. I'll stay a slave. Or number three, they preferred their old taskmaster. And I don't want to, I don't want to be free. Those are the only three options, ladies and gentlemen. When Jesus Christ has set you free as He did 2,000 years ago, you have those three options. Uh, nobody ever told me, Dwight, I didn't know. Every, that's not true for anybody here. Number two, I'm not sure that the news is really that good and I'm not sure I can really be set free of all that. Ha- the, the, the ball and chain that is holding my life down, I can't be set free from that habit. I cannot be set free. I am stuck as a slave to my wicked taskmaster for the rest of my life. You are not. Don't believe it. Or number three, this is the only other option. Number three, I don't want to be free. I don't want to be free. I like working for this guy. I'll carry that ball and chain for the rest of my life and for the life of me. I cannot understand how any human being would say, I'd rather serve that taskmaster than the emancipator of the universe. Yep, there's no three options you have. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, what's the formula? J times J times G plus J times F equals S. Let's fill it out. It's justification by grace plus justification by faith equals salvation through Christ alone. That's the truth. You must be twice set free. 2,000 years ago, you were set free. But when you come back to Jesus, you find out you really are. There really was an emancipator. Yep. And He will set me free. Yes, you choose justification by faith now. And by the way, when you come to Jesus, it really does work this way. Let's put this on the screen. To be justified. You know what that means? Write it down. To be justified means just as if I'd never sinned. You are acquitted. Justified means just as if I never, ever sinned. God looks at you and as if you have lived a perfect life, sister, from the get-go of your journey. That's what it means to be justified. I'll treat you as if you never sinned. Look at this. We end with this. Steps to Christ, page 62. In this sum, I want you to have this. Tuck it away in your Bible. If you give yourself to Jesus and accept Him as your Savior, then sinful as your life may have been, for His sake, you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character. Ah, come on. Hallelujah. And you are accepted of God just as if you had not sinned. What do you say? Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the good news. That's why it's called good news. Just as if you'd never been a rebel in your life. I'll take you back just like that. You have to ask me. I signed your papers 2,000 years ago. I signed them in blood. But you have to ask me now. I'll never force you. You want to stay with that taskmaster? You want to spend the rest of your life with that ball and chain? You will stay. I want you free. Come to me. I will save you. It's your choice. It's our choice. Let's pray. Oh, God. Oh, God. 2,000 years ago, Calvary, you signed the papers. The whole human race from beginning to end, rebels all set free. Holy Father, please, don't let the news be that good and let it pass us by. We must, we must reach out to the Emancipator and ask Him, please, To become our new Master, our new Savior, our new Lord. While every head is still bowed in prayer, there's no way. I know we had an altar call last Sabbath, but this is coming right back again. There's no way I can sit down. I would be judgment bound to God if I didn't give an opportunity for some man here, some young adult, some woman, somebody who needs to come to Jesus and accept Him. You need to accept Him as your personal Savior. This is not a call for general rededication. No, no. This is a call for you to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. And so, if there is a, a man here today, if there's a woman here, someone here who needs to come to Jesus, I wish you'd just come here to the front. I, I want to... I want to pray with you and ask God to take your life and journey with you every step that remains. In the orchestra behind me, in the balcony, all the way to the back, anywhere in this sanctuary, is there somebody here who needs to come to Jesus? I know we had an altar call last Sabbath, but today, 
Maybe you're here. I hadn't intended to be here, but, but you're here. If you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you just come here to the front? God bless you. Just come here to the front. Anybody else? You're not coming to me. You're not coming to this church. This is Jesus. You're coming to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If your heart is not certain that you have chosen, you're not sure, you you have not given your life to Jesus, then I wish you too would slip out of that pew and come here to the front. God bless you. Anybody else? The rest of you, your heads are down. You're praying. God is doing something right now. You know what Jesus says? There is more joy in heaven over the one person who comes forward than the 9,000 who are sitting in the pew. More joy over one. You'd be praying. Maybe somebody beside you right now is saying, I, I, should, I, I need to give my life to Jesus. I have tried to be my own master. And I, I, I need Jesus. I need a Savior. Anybody else? At the back of the balcony. God bless you. Anyone else? I'm not going to prolong this, but how can we go to the foot of the cross? How can we go to this summit of Scripture and not give a man, a woman, a chance to say, Jesus, you sign the papers today. Those papers are mine. I receive your freedom. And you are my liberator. You are my emancipator. I come to you just as I am, Jesus. I'm telling you, I haven't cleaned my life up. I don't care, Jesus. Just as I am. Without one plea, I come to you. You're watching on television right now. You can make that decision where you're, you're seated. Closed circuit TV on campus where you are right now. Jesus is speaking to your heart. You can choose Him as your Lord and Savior. You know, one of the realities of justification to be justified is every new morning you choose to be justified again. You say, yep, you are still my liberator. You are still my emancipator. How many want to go on record with me and these and saying, Jesus, get it clear. You are my Savior. I choose you again today and today and today until you come. If you want to send that prayer to heaven, just stand where you are right now as we pray together. Oh, Jesus, we stand to our feet. We stand with these. If just one sets all of heaven's choirs to singing, we can hear the music now. Oh God, take these who have come into Your outstretched embrace, nail-scarred embrace. Come to Me just as You are. Don't you worry. I'll take care of You. I'll walk with You. I'll journey with You. You and I will grow. Our friendship will last forever and ever. Hold these men, these women close. Oh God, let them know The papers have been signed and now ratified with their personal choice. Saved in Christ by faith alone. And the rest of us jump to our feet, dear God, because how could we sit? We want those papers again and again. And so tomorrow morning, we're going to tell you that we need you to be our emancipator. Monday morning, we're going to tell you. Tuesday morning, we will tell you. Wednesday, you will hear it from us again. Thursday, Friday, Sabbath again. Jesus, there will never come a time when we will not need you desperately. And so we stand. Walk with us all.
and let the peace of the Father through the sacrifice of the Son become the gift of the Spirit in all of our hearts forever and ever. Let all the people say, Amen and Amen.